Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hey, Michelle. What's up? Hey. Well, not much. You know, good thing that the virus that shall not be named to steal from our favorite podcast, Shameless. Um, yeah. Good thing that that doesn't stop us recording any interviews or anything since we do it all remotely anyway. I know. <laughs> it's actually quite a good thing. No cancellations, so better words. <laughs> I know. So hopefully, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're self-isolating and you're sick or whatever, um, hopefully we can bring like a little bit of light into your day. Obviously, it's a very stressful time for everyone, but um I want to keep going about my sort of online presence as normal as possible. Like I'm not Mm. ignoring the news, obviously, but I think the thing for me is, and Caitlin, you know this, but because I used to work in a newsroom, I was in a very high stress situation all the time. And like being in that situation means that when something like this happens, you are on all the time and you hear the updates and you know what's happening and you know when the next press conference is going to be and you like run on adrenaline even like when it's not your your disaster yeah or even when it's you know not your day to actually work you're still involved especially when I was running the website because like even if it's not um, a local disaster you still got to know like when this update's going online and all this sort of yeah. stuff um, so the fact that I can now switch off and, and just try and distance yourself yeah. a little bit yeah I'm gonna do yeah. that and like obviously I still have and I will say if people are looking for sources of news um, I highly recommend listening to a couple of podcasts um, that I listen to every day the first one is The Squiz, that's S-Q-U-I-Z, um, and we'll link to these in the show notes, but there's The Squiz and then The Signal and The Guardian, Today in Focus, and um, Hack. They're all podcasts that I listen to every day and I find that they are really good at giving you information without, like, scaremongering or anything but like actually explain and also just explaining complex issues in a way that's really easy to understand so I know I feel like my anxiety spikes every time I open Twitter and I don't know why I'm still opening it it makes (laughs) me feel sick every time I look at it so if you're looking for something where you want to be informed but you don't want to feel overwhelmed those podcasts are where I would recommend starting Very good recommendations. (laughs) I want to recommend that everyone enjoys whatever they're reading, watching and listening. So we're going to quickly do some little fun, light recommendations. And my first one is I recommend everyone rewatches their favourite Disney movie, (laughs) which I sort of did. I technically on the weekend watched one which I wouldn't say is a top favourite, but I hadn't seen it for a few years and I'm so glad I rewatched it. It was so much fun. And that was Lilo and Stitch. Oh, my goodness, yes. You know, Jack and I had, like, a whole Lilo and Stitch weekend a few months ago where we just watched, <laughs> like, all the movies back to back. It's such a good movie. I love it's it. So, I like rewatching <sighs> it as, like, an – you know when you watch Disney movies kind of as an adult, if you will, and you can see – the deeper parts of the story I'm like oh my god Lilo and Stitch is fantastic 
Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I love a little mermaid and a tangled and everything, but oh, damn, no. Lilo and I Stitch was is great. Full, like Lilo and Stitch sparked my whole. I had a I had a whole like little Elvis phase of listening to Elvis music oh, just because of Lilo and Stitch. I love Elvis. Yeah, uh, I know. Lilo and Stitch is great. So I recommend rewatch a classic, wonderful, light Disney movie. I also, I have found myself doing these things over the past couple of weeks, you know, rewatching Disney movies, blah, 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 mm-hmm. um, just as this all gets a bit crazy. And one thing I did last weekend um, was I listened to um, every One Direction album um, as I was, like, driving around and doing housework and stuff, <laughs> just, like, on shuffle. And, oh, man, the, like, early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. What am I saying? 2010s. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, 2010s, um, but, like, early 2010s, One Direction, just, like, fun, dancey pop. I was, like, you know, what makes you beautiful? Just, like, dancing in the car, singing along. It's so fun. So whatever that is for you. <laughs> Sing along, disco driving, except probably not driving, probably at home. Dance party at home, I recommend. <laughs> uh, I um, I recommend whenever I'm feeling down, like going back to my favourite stand-up comedians. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, Great. so obviously, I mean, if you Eliza. haven't watched Eliza <laughs> and you've listened, to, I mean, for goodness sake, I recommend her all the time. Go yes. watch, she has four Netflix specials on Netflix, obviously, um, which you can go and watch. Some yeah, other ones plus. I love. I was oh, about to yeah. say plus, plus Eliza is in the about. new Eliza's in a new Netflix action movie called Spencer Confidential with Mark Warburg and she's so funny. She's like okay, yes, I've slight never detour. Seen, yeah, let's detour and talk slight, about this because slight detour for this because I watched it, we literally watched it the day it came out. Um you finally watched it so we can talk about it. I have. She is, like, the best girlfriend I've ever seen in any action movie. She, But the thing is, if I was watching that and did not know, A, did not know who she was, if she, if, if she wasn't a stand-up comedian, I would be like, wow, she's such a good actress. Like, I, it's not like I'm not watching it going, oh, my God, I love Eliza, therefore I love everything she does. No, she's genuinely talented. Yeah, no, she did she's a great genuinely job. Great. Yeah, she's genuinely great. So I'm not I'm not being like I literally I am I am 100% the fan club, but I'm telling you she's, she's brilliant. Um, yeah, she and, did a great job because I know what you mean. It's like when you – like we watched it <laughs> yeah. and a little part I was like – is it just going to be Eliza teasing Mark Wahlberg? And it's not. I 100%. Like, I I watched Instant Family 100% for the scenes that Eliza was in where she was basically pretending to be Sandra Bullock from um, The Blind Side. Have you seen that movie? (laughs) I haven't watched that one, actually. I need to get on that. So that's Mark Wahlberg, and there's a few moments. And they even make the joke in the movie where they're like, wait, that's, that's like The Blind Side, and she just looks at them and gives them, like, the biggest like oh she's just like I'm gonna kill you it's so funny um and that's how I think that's how they met but um the other reason I was interested in Spencer Confidential is and I think I mentioned this on the podcast a little while ago we recently watched Patriot's Day yes yes you did 
I became like I've just never really taken that much notice of Mark Wahlberg before, but I was like, holy shit, he is a really good actor. And Spencer Confidential is the sort of action movie that's really smart as well. Like this isn't like a Fast and Furious action movie. Like I find movies like that so utterly boring. I fell asleep yeah, me in too. Fast and Furious 8. I Look, I only went to Fast and Furious 8 because it was when Jack and I started dating. He had free tickets and I was like, well, yeah, I want another excuse to see you. So, you know, like that's yeah. that's how much I think of Fast and Furious. And I'm sorry if if you're a fan of that, but it's not my thing. But Spencer no, Confidential is clever. Like it's a really good storyline as well. And it's genuinely funny. Like there are mm. some brilliant bits, like just these little one-liners and just like little things like, oh my gosh, when when Eliza like gets Harvey out of the car and is just like, did they assault you? And like, she's just like interrogating him and stuff. Um, I know. That was really it's funny. It's just it's really fun. Like it's a it's the perfect mix of action, intrigue, a really, really great storyline about some dirty yeah. cops. And that sort yeah. of like solving the case crime, mm. like I almost want to say mystery. It's not quite a mystery, but like that sort of detective element yeah. actually means that they're doing something, not just driving cars really fast and blowing them up. Which and I tell you I what, there really better boring. be another one. There better be another one because that ending where basically they sort of they show a, a news clip of something and you can see that like the cogs in his brain just turning of like I know maybe this is a new case and literally all the other people Eliza like, no, and the other stop, characters yeah the channel. <laughs> no this is not a new case and that's where they end it and you're like oh I need to know what happened so um if you're if you're into action movies if you're even slightly maybe interested in Mark Wahlberg like watch Spencer Confidential it's really clever um does have Post Malone in it as well if you're a fan of Post Malone um but if if you're only watching because you're a fan of Eliza I think it's worth it as well like there's enough in there to keep you interested um also fun fact if you're a fan of Eliza if you're a super fan um you may already know this but her and her husband are in quarantine or in self-isolation at the moment and they're doing Don't Panic Pantry they're doing cooking videos on Facebook Live and Instagram Live every day. Because her husband, Noah, aka Smokey Husky, he's a chef. (laughs) He's a chef. So they are cooking up this food and they started sharing the recipes that they're going to do because people were like, we want to cook with you. Um, And I think that's the sort of joyous stuff that can come of these crises. Um, totally. I think it's really cute and just, yeah, that's that's really nice. So, anyway, massive detour were there. Um, can I just recommend a couple of other comics that I know are on Netflix that I enjoy? Absolutely. So, James A. Caster is a bit out there but really funny. Um, does take a while, I think, for all the his series, his series repertoire to sort of make sense. Um, I say that because Jack has now watched it about 25 times. Um, so it really makes sense for me now. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, like on repeat in our household. Um, of it is. Jack is I such know. a serial repeat watcher. Oh, I know. He is an outfit repeater. He, he really just, is. Oh, my goodness. Um, but the other thing that's on repeat 
not stand-up comedy, but if you haven't watched it in a while or if you've never watched it and you like British comedy, Black Books, I know that that's on Australian Netflix. Brilliant, brilliant comedy. You know, go back and watch, like, IT Crowd, Gavin and Stacey. Like, that's the sort of stuff that is my comfort thing. The other thing I know, my comfort thing that I started re-watching is Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah, that's a comfort for so many people as well. Um, the other movie, like one of my favourite movies of all time, is on Netflix. It's called The Young Offenders. It's uh, like a little independent Irish movie and it is simultaneously so funny and uplifting and just brilliant. So I highly recommend that as well. And um, I think that's about I think that's about it for like what to watch. Yeah. Do you have a quick um, recommendation for a light, enjoyable read, perhaps? Well, actually, you know what? It's probably best to link in the show notes to a blog post I wrote a few weeks ago in January um, Mm -hmm. for like Blue Monday, like the most depressing day of the year, which was all about uplifting books. Um, so from memory, I had things like the Lido by Libby Page, Our Stop by Laura Jane Williams, um, Oh My God, What a Complete Aisling by Emma McLyset and Sarah Breen. And there are a couple of other ones on there as well, but we can link to that because that was all about really joyous and fun books. Wonderful. My quick recommendation for a joyful, fun book is Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuinston, which, oh, my God, royals love politics, social media. It was just, this book had everything, kind of mm. like The Gravity of Us, which, perfect segue, <laughs> let's go to our interview. <laughs> Today's guest grew up in rural Ohio and spent a lot of his youth playing piano and writing. He ended up working in non-profit PR in Washington, D.C. and eventually started working on a novel. Now he works in publishing in New York City, where he lives with his husband and their dog. He is celebrating the release of his debut novel, a queer love story set against the backdrop of the 60s space race. We are delighted to welcome you, Phil Stamper. Thank you for having me. That was a great summary. I feel like oh. sometimes you know, when, they, when when people uh, when people kind of mesh multiple summaries together and like kind of create their own, you, you never know. I always like have that like you cringe a little bit just in case, and then but that was beautiful. That was perfect. I like oh. better than I explain myself. So that's. Great. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Um, and we're particularly delighted that we could have you on this um, very virtual podcast um, because um, as with all the uncertainty in the world um, you were just explaining to us before we started recording that a lot of your events have been cancelled in the US and um, your book isn't out in the UK until May Um, so we'd like to encourage our UK listeners to support the book when it comes out and um is it out in australia yet today. yes it is today, is it today? Oh. 
Yeah. Well, congratulations. There you go. I didn't realize it was today. (laughs) So um, that's fun. All right. Well, there you go. So if you're in Australia or the US, you can you can support the book now um, by buying online if you need to. Um, and there are lots of ways you can do that through your independence. Um, and then it's out in mid-May in the UK. So you can support the book then. And I think you're going to want to because it is, well, it sounds amazing. It sounds absolutely amazing. I am so looking forward to getting my hands at a copy when it's released here. Caitlin, you've read it. I have. (laughs) I loved it. So (laughs) congratulations on publication today, even in Australia, of The Gravity of Us. Um, So, Phil, can you tell us just a little bit about the story to get us started? Um, sure. Let me move my dog into the other room because he's barking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. We're all going a bit stir crazy these days. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, The Gravity of Us, I like to explain it as um, as essentially a queer love story between uh, two boys whose lives are uprooted for their parents' NASA mission to Mars. Um, And so this is kind of a, um, I've always looked at it as a reimagining of the 60s space race in the US um, and kind of brought a lot of the conflict from that era into the story, um, just because it's something I've always been really, really interested in. Like I've watched all the documentaries, I've seen everything, I've read everything. um, I have like a stack of the old life magazines from the 60s and 70s that uh, covered all the missions. And one of the things that really, yes, just like (laughs) Alcina. And um, and just like the, um, I I always like wondered what really drew me to these stories because like obviously coming from not maybe not obviously but coming from Ohio where it's like we are branded as the birthplace of aviation and we've had like the most astronauts of any other state in the country and like we just are very aeronautical. kind of we we like planes we like things that are in the air um and also it's like rural ohio all you do is like look at the stars and like uh, eat corn like that's just really <laughs> the reality of living in in that area so like there wasn't much to do but look up and um so i've always been fascinated by it but then once i started really getting into it i realized like it wasn't i mean there was the scientific aspect of it that i really loved and i got to bring into the story but what one thing that really captured me about the 60s and space race in general was that um all of the astronaut wives and families were brought to houston as well um, to live in this community that they built for the astronauts and they had to they essentially became kind of the um the hollywood of the south in that moment and all eyes were on them. They were kind of considered the perfect family, had all these stressors put on them when they were not very public people to begin with. Um, and, you know, they had to entertain and like throw parties and look perfect and like m- touch up their makeup all while like not knowing if their husbands or parents were going to end up coming home alive that night. So it was like a very weird tension that like, I didn't think was addressed quite as much in a lot of the big documentaries or really in like 
the big blockbuster movies that kind of came from it. Um, but I really loved learning more about that and um, reading the Astronaut Wives Club, for example. And I kind of wanted to capture that energy, but also bring it into the present and kind of build a whole uh, queer love story as the base of it. Wow. I mean, you describing that and talking about, you know, that sort of celebrity and media element of it is something like that's one of the things I loved most about this book. It's just so interesting. It was so I've never heard that. I've never heard any of that before. Yeah, yeah. and that's I think really that's another interesting that. element. It's not talked about, and I was thinking about it when I was reading it, and like you know, even thinking of like you said, I mean, I can think of like hidden figures or the dish, or or even like you know, like I dream of Jeannie, like he was an astronaut, but like you know, those are the things. And even being Australian, we don't learn that much about that time in America I don't think so it was very interesting yeah and I, I don't think we learn a ton about it either other than the fact that like we sent someone into space we beat mm. the Russians the moon like it's like very very basic stuff and then it's like you know Neil Armstrong landed on the moon on this day um and like I don't think that the history books really need to go in more depth than that but like once you do peel back kind of the layers of what society was at that time in America especially in a very like in a very weird subsect of America that was just learning that they were not the perfect families that they were kind of presenting and trying to be um, and so it's just a lot of conflict and tension throughout that um, that era that I really I just I, I don't know I've always really liked it so it was it was really fun because I feel like I got to kind of explain that to other people as well um, because I know that I you know it's taken me eight documentaries you know 50 books you know whatever to like get to that story um, but I was able to kind of tell it through a more modern lens um, and kind of bring people who are interested in the space element but also in the media and the like mental health dynamics all these things that were actually really important that we didn't talk about in the 60s and see if we could talk about it today. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such an interesting way to to look at that and to reimagine it and to bring it into a new context for a new audience as well. Um, we always love YA novels that have a big focus on family. And in The Gravity of Us, both Cal's parents and Leon's parents and um, sister are really key characters. So, can you tell us a little bit about why it was so important to include them in this way in the story? Yeah, I think um, The Gravity of Us has a pretty limited cast if you don't count the like interstitial chapters that um, where the reality show Starwatch kind of interviews a lot of the astronauts um, mm -hmm. and a lot of people involved with the mission. Um, if you take that out, you don't really have that large of a cast of characters. And I think it was really important for me to focus on the dynamics of the family because it was just like, you know, this won't be the case in every uh, YA that I write, but in this one specifically, the family is such a big part of the plot, the scenario, the reason all of this is happening. Um, so it would have been weird to show, to share the story without really getting into any family dynamics there and building out a really solid 
um, character arc for all of these um, characters and like to make them feel believable and not just like throw away parent characters or cardboard cutouts or, you know, the cardboard cutout sister that, you know, it's just there. Um, and like I, one thing that was really fun for me was I got to present the Tucker family, which is Leon's family, as mm-hmm. kind of the caricature of this, um, of what the 60s looked like and of what the, sorry, what they tried to present in the 60s and what they're trying to present now. Um, where it's just, this is the perfect family. This is the, you know, the kind of the tough older brother, the precocious younger sister. Um, mm. These are the roles that yeah. all of them play. Mom, dad, and I got two to, kids. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. like nuclear family, whatever, um, whatever they, you know, they think looks best on the cover of a magazine, that kind of thing. And I got to deconstruct that through their relationship and through Cal's like uh, constant need to get to the bottom of things um mm. he doesn't give up much uh if you can't tell um <laughs> and so I really had a fun time um developing all the characters um in the families because like the parents like the Cal Cal and Leon like I developed them separately of course but I um I developed them in the context of their families which I think is another another unusual way to approach building a main character or a love interest is to go start with their parents. Um, <laughs> but, but I think for like, for Cal, like his, you know, his mother um, has experiences with anxiety and social anxiety and like it's on the page. She's, you know, seeing a therapist. She, her, she's trying to see a new therapist. It's like all kind of awkward for her and she's not adjusting well. And the spotlight is on her, um, which is very similar to what happened in the actual sixties. Um, mm. And so I was thinking, well, what, you know, how does Cal like push against that? But how does he also support it? Because I wanted to show a supportive relationship, at least an understanding relationship. Like you don't, you can't be supportive of your mom all the time. Like that's just kind of a reality of uh, being a teenager, but you can yeah. always be understanding <laughs> of where they're coming from. Um, and so that was really, I, I think, refreshing for me just to like play with that. Um, and then the dad, you know, the their relationship on page one versus their relationship at the end of the story is just like, completely different it's an entire you know arc that I, I I really enjoyed writing and developed even over edits um but then when you go to like Leon's family you do have the precocious sister but she's also kind of um well she is precocious all the time she she is the one who like she's the catalyst for their relationship she is um she's kind of like Cal in that she likes to like uh get her fingers into everyone's business um yeah. which out great for all of them um and I think she works really well um kind of against Leon who's a little bit more uh pulled back and in his shell and like not quite as trusting um and so I just I really like developing all these characters and how they played off of each other um and it just so happened that all these main characters were in the family so you have that entire you know you, you have to think of them as humans their arc and then you have to think of them as parents which is a very different um very different relationship than just you know as humans interacting with each other yeah definitely and yeah I mean I think both Cal and Leon you know their relationship with their parents you know as everything was going on around them with their parents jobs and everything was all so interesting and I did really enjoy that Kat was very like present and a friend throughout the novel like she didn't like disappear the way that sometimes I think characters can um and it's hard not it's hard not to especially with limited cast like 
you are focusing on, I mean, and also there's so many plot points happening in this book. Like I know I, yeah. I, I jammed it packed of like full <laughs> of um, different plot lines and different elements and anxieties and all this other stuff. So like um, it is hard to keep everyone on the page, um, but especially Kat was like kind of the glue that held everyone together for a little bit, even though I don't think she played a huge role. Um, I just loved what I, every time she was in the scene, she kind of found a way to stole it, to steal it, and then yeah. you know, she'd go off <laughs> the world on her own, and then she'll come back. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, another part of one of our favorite elements in books is that sort of element of media or social media, and a big part of the novel is how Cal uses social media to build his like journalism profile and portfolio. Um, we, we both said as before, we work in media and we just love this. So we, even with today's like influencer culture and, you know, all of that stuff, why did you want to make Cal a journalist first and then an influencer second? Yeah, I don't, um, I'm trying to think if there was like a distinct moment when I chose that, or if that's just kind of how he appeared on the page. I think really what, um, what led me to, all of those, dis- all of the decisions in regards to like social media and Cal's profile and what he is passionate about kind of in general mm-hmm. uh, is that he really wants to find the best way to use his voice. And what I was noticing as I was writing it was that teens weren't really able to use their voice and other forms of media in the same way and get the same amount of traction. So it made sense that someone who is kind of ambitious and is like kind of laser focused is going to identify that like he has the best chance of getting his word out there, his um, stories out there. If he kind of pursues it in this way and further like wants to legitimize the journalistic, you know, part of his life of saying, you know, I am a journalist. I, uh, it's not like a so-called journalist or social media journalist. He like, he sees himself as a journalist first. Um, and I think that's just part of just him wanting to legitimize it as well. And because he's already seeing like eight steps ahead, how he wants to set his future career and like how he wants to build this. Um, but also it's just, I, I think social media is like, is where you can have that voice stand out in a way that's very different than the other forms of media that are in there because we have, we have local news involved in the story we also have star watch um and um kind of seeing traditional media versus television media versus uh social media and kind of put, putting them all like at odds basically um was a really fun way to um it was just an interesting dynamic that i don't know i don't think i could have planned it that to work out the way that it did but it's just once they all kind of got on the same page it was like oh there's going to be conflict um, but again, yeah. if you go back to these, it was kind of like that as well with like Life Magazine um, versus some of the local news where it's like you couldn't, uh, I think I say this in the book, but you couldn't like drive a truck down the street um, on launch days because there were just news vans everywhere. And the only reason that the um, that the wives and the families had protection from the news crews was because Life Magazine paid them you know, a million dollars or whatever to be split between everyone so that they had full access. So they Mm. relied on it in a really weird way. Whereas 
you know, Life Magazine, they get my full story. I have to write these things. I have to look pretty. I have to do all these, everything and be the perfect wife. But it's the only thing keeping me from the vultures outside. Um, and so yeah. it's like, so that was a way to kind of modernize that really strange dynamic um, in a way that didn't feel, I think, too cheesy or like, I don't know, social media can go bad in in novels. And I was obviously afraid of that going into it, but um, <laughs> but it, it worked. It worked, and it, uh, it took a while to hone. Um, but it was just that dynamic between the three like pieces of media that I thought was really fun to like focus on and important to focus on as well, just in this world. Yeah, definitely, because they they are all still so active and all working together and all fighting for our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, constantly, and that's... yeah something I hope people will pay more attention to, I guess. Because um, we're all kind of, we, we all know, I think now, you know, the what fake news is and like what how yeah. to determine it. And I mean, obviously we all don't know, um, but the majority <laughs> of us know. And um, we also know like, we're, I think we're all fatigued with sensationalist headlines and like, you know, clickbait doesn't really get us the way it did 10 years ago. So like, it's always developing, but I think that we're kind of at a, Place where that's why social media can can really like lift voices up because there's like kind of a no bullshit attitude to that that is very much present in um in the other pieces absolutely um obviously the the new mission in the gravity of us is at the center of the storyline and you mentioned before that you know, you did a lot of research, um, obsessively looking at a lot of these things, the life magazines, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, so at what point did you become interested in the space program and, you know, this amazing world of outer space and space travel? And, you know, at what point did you think maybe this is enough to, to write a novel? So, I would say, I mean, I, so I've always been kind of interested in like astrology or sorry, no, astronomy. Um, astrology, <laughs> astrology is cool too. I, you know, I'm a Taurus. I, I, you know, I follow some memes about what that means, but like astronomy is what I mean. <laughs> um, you know, just like the like stargazing and like finding constellations and that kind of stuff. I was, I was really interesting and fun. So I've always had like, that was like lingering in the back of my mind. Um, but then when I got into college, I had a, um, I, I, I had finally watched Apollo 13 for the first time. And so this was back in, I think, you know, 2008, something like that. Um, and I was just, I've like never been as gripped in a movie scenario as I was in that. And it helped <laughs> that like, I was so ignorant of what happened in these that I didn't even know that like, I didn't know if they were gonna live or die because I didn't know how Apollo 13 like ended. Like I, I didn't know at that time. Um, and I just like, I felt silly for not knowing. And I was like, I could Google this right now, but like, I guess I'll just find out. Um, and mm-hmm. so I like really was a part of this. Cause also, you know, that was, that came out not too long after I think Armageddon where they, where they don't live, I don't believe. Um, so <laughs> I was just kind of used to these like space stories of people dying. So it was just a very triumphant moment when they all made it out. So. I would say that's probably where it started 
like the the real like okay I want to learn a lot more about this so I went back I read the book that it was based on Jeffrey Kluger's um, Lost Moon which I think they ended up retitling it Apollo 13 because that was obviously what people were looking for um, <laughs> and then I read um, probably the, the the best one I read was um, Failure is Not an Option which is Gene Kranz's memoir or maybe it's his biography I don't actually know um, but he is the guy who was in mission control um, talking with the astronauts um, he was like Ooh. the, Ooh. the title but he was the one he's the the lead person there very special stressful experience um, he knows more than anyone else I feel about uh, how how all of these missions work so you got to learn everything about you know I think I don't remember when he started but like you get to learn about all the Gemini missions, the Apollo missions, um, and then you really got to like understand, okay, there's so much to this whole world. Um, and then I went from there, and then I watched you know, documentaries, I read more books, read like every memoir that was out there. Um, and for my senior year of college, 2009 going into 2010, uh, Time Magazine was having their 40th anniversary uh, edition where they had everything based on 1969 articles from Life magazine. And so it was mm. a lot of um, the Vietnam War, a lot of um, oh God, uh, Woodstock, um, and <laughs> also Apollo, uh, Apollo 11. Um, well, and really just all the Apollo missions, but especially Apollo 11. So they had all these beautiful pictures in there. And I remember I like was posting, I like would tear pages out of this book or out of this big magazine and like put them on my wall because I was cool. Um, so, <laughs> so really, there was like three years of just like cultivating a really intense fandom of of this. For whatever reason it was, I just have always been into it. Um, oh God, even there was there was once that, um, and like I had no money in college, but iTunes had a deal where you could get all of the, all the 7 through 17 transmissions, um, like from, from start to finish every mission for like $10 for all of them. And I was like, this is a good idea. So I bought them all and was like, <laughs> oh, wow. There's, there's like looking back, I'm like, was that even fun? Like I, we would, my friend and I would like, would watch Apollo 13 a lot. We would listen to these transcripts and like drink wine. And um, that was just like what we did. So I, I don't know. So I, I was like, been I've been very into this for, for a long time, as you can tell. And then oh, wow. once I started writing, then I was like, okay, well, how do I, you know, I, I want to kind of put all of my obsessions, my joy, like everything that I'm passionate about, I need to, I want to put them into books at some point. Um, but I didn't, I never wanted to write sci-fi. Um, so I, I was really at odds kind of with that. And so I was like, I guess I'll just never mm. find a way to put it. And that's when I read, um, I mean, I was still kind of reading other books at this point, but especially this is um, the the thing that made it click was when I read Astronaut Wives Club. And then I, I was like, oh, it doesn't have to be about the mission. I mean, it can have the mission, but it doesn't have to be about the actual like into space or it doesn't have to be a sci-fi. Um, it could just be another mission. And so that's, that's kind of where I was like, okay, like I get to, I get to do this. Like I've been, it was my fourth book that I've drafted, so I've like felt very confident about how to do it, and I um it just worked out really well. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds amazing. I I love how obsessed you got about it. That's just yeah. 
Me too. Wonderful. Like, because that was that was me when I was like a teenager discovering the Beatles. Like that was I Yeah, real deep dive. Like, yeah, like I would spend hours after I finished my homework because obviously I did that first um watching these YouTube videos of like the Beatles being interviewed and like I would just go down these rabbit holes of videos of like it would be like from their 1964 tour in Texas and it's like a backstage interview and it's just all this random stuff and like I just hours and hours and hours I don't know how to do my taxes and I can tell you all this stuff well, that's not videos. as interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I love, I love that. I love finding those kind of um, things that just like, I, I mean, I, I actually did, had the same kind of much smaller phase about Woodstock as well, um, just because it was just like such a weird experiment and something that like didn't, didn't make sense at the time, but then it obviously really did because it was super popular. But um, it was just like there's so much to it and like all these interviews that like nobody really knows about and like you can find them online because you can find anything online so it's just like we're kind of at the at the best age for finding really obscure crap about things we like on the internet which was very helpful in any of our passion and I mean now um when we're all like being told to stay at home would probably be the perfect time to find something and get really obsessed about it like you know, oh. this this could spawn like a whole series of other books in ten years. Like people going through this deep dive at the moment, it's gonna just fuel creativity. That's <laughs> inspirational. Oh my God. What a positive right way now. to look at this. <laughs> it's a very positive spin, Michelle, but I love it. The best bit is you don't have to feel guilty about it like taking away your time from work unless Unless, like us, you're like people who can actually work from home, and you've still got to keep yeah. working. And so, people who 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 love something so much, and they're like, "I love it so much, I want to learn everything about it." Like, you're my person. Like, that's a that is just the dedication I love. Like, it's. And I think that's that's also what I try to put into my characters as well. And I think that's what a lot of people pick up on. Like, people are like every character that I write can't just be kind of interested in something and like that's actually something I think I talked with Emery Lord about this too where it's like you know as a teen you have these passions that like really take over your life whether it's like extracurricular stuff or if it's again you just fall down the rabbit hole of the Beatles stuff and that's your thing um but like that that I try to bring that kind of passion into the characters that I write because I think it's so authentic to like really get caught up in that and be like oh wow like I'm so interested in this this like whatever it is like cat's interest in coding like she just wanted to learn it she wanted to be she has all these projects that she wants to do or like leon with gymnastics cal with obviously everything on his journalism front <laughs> yeah um, exactly everyone has something yeah which, and i think it's cool to like yeah. put that in there in a way that's like meaningful to the other nerds out there who are also passionate about their own thing because they might not <laughs> be a gymnast or whatever but they are still like they could see that passion or that excitement or commitment mm. I guess. yeah absolutely um <laughs> one thing that we haven't talked too much about yet um is this amazing reality show that documents the mission and interviews all the families 
Um, and that is a big part of the story because, like, Cal and Leon and the other Astro kids just kind of get thrown into it and it's part of the deal. Their parents get chosen and it's like, guess what? You are now a star of this reality show and everyone knows who you are. Are you a big reality TV fan or was this just more of a modern take on the media circus of the 60s? It, it, I'm really not a big no? <laughs> fan of that kind of thing. But I like it's not that I like judge it or you know that I'm against it and like I can I have my own like pop culture things that I'm super into but um Mm -hmm. I've never I've never really liked that style of show and so I didn't want to that's why I was kind of cautious as portraying at portraying them as like kind of the bad guys in this scenario because they are but I didn't want it to come off as like me being kind of haughty and like not um being like too good for reality tv or anything like that because it's certainly not that um, but I think there was, um, I, I, I think if, when I was like reflecting on like, what would this look like today when I w- went back to the sixties, like what would the media players be? Um, I could like, they were the real housewives of Clear Lake, Texas. Like that's, that's how they yeah. treated them back in the sixties. So like, why wouldn't they kind of have that, um, feeling now? Why wouldn't it feel like TMZ or a little bit like, that if they became just such big stars for like this big unifying mission to Mars. Um, and so I, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm not a huge fan of it, but there, I, I know enough about it. My husband likes a lot of the, like the Real Housewives series. And like, I, um, I know enough about it that I can like at least talk about it in a way that's like knowledgeable and like, hopefully, I mean, realistic, but like, realistic in this world is different than realistic in some worlds um yeah but yeah it was just kind of cool to to see how especially how that piece that kind of media which is very much driven by like um they're not necessarily uh clickbait but that's the feel you get when you watch something like you see that teaser before them that's the kind of feeling that you get with them so like yeah, I, it's all elevated, all a bit amped up and dramatic. And in when they don't get the when they don't get the reviews they want or they don't get the exactly what they want, they like turn the dial up a bit and they turn it up and you know, Cal is entering this at a point where it's just going out of NASA's control with Starwatch and they like that's why they're at really a breaking point there of like we either go full in on this like literal circus or <laughs> figurative circus but but still um or we like kind of reassess what we need to do to get the american interest here in a valuable way but um yeah so no yeah, i'm not, not a huge fan of uh, <laughs> I, I am like i like some like i love rupaul's drag race and like i love competition ones those are probably my my bigger thing um yeah so, me like, too Everyone I, I, like, has probably one reality show that they can handle and really like, I think. Yeah. Um, What's but yours? yeah, my favorite is probably like The Voice. <laughs> oh, okay. I've watched a couple of seasons. I like, I mean, I like Kelly Clarkson a lot. So um, mm. we watched some of her first ones, but um, I haven't watched recently. Yeah, I mean, I obviously watch the Australian version here, but I oh, okay, yeah, yeah, so it's slightly different. But 
Um, <laughs> probably more B grade celebrities. Um, <laughs> D grade. <laughs> I don't think there have been I... many uh, successful people on the American Voice either. <laughs> but well, other than yeah, other than like Kelly and Adam, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, Caitlin um, and our listeners know this already, but I am addicted to Love Island UK and I love it. I literally watch it every single day when it's on and I get totally obsessed with it. And I never thought I would say that about a reality TV show, let alone a dating reality TV show. I mean, we're watching Love is Blind right now, um, which is the Nick Lachey. Oh, that was too crazy one. for me. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm like I'm like six or I think I, I finished the sixth episode and it's just it's it's a lot. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm here for this. It's <laughs> it's very weird. It's I just feel. I don't think it's my lot. thing. <laughs> I went straight. So I was watching Love Island and I was like, I need a hole to fill because this is what I watch because I, I watch it at the start of my day when I'm doing like my emails and my admin and stuff. I was like, I need something fun, and I started trying to watch it and I was like, oh whoa whoa. I've been telling Caitlin to watch this show and you may have you may have seen of it or heard of it called Unreal and it is like the drama yeah. of like behind the scenes of a show like the ba- I think it is it's essentially the bachelor and I believe that someone who worked on the bachelor made this show and it's just got me like I've I've been so addicted yeah. and it's all that it's like how they create the drama and it is all real drama but it's stuff that they've been like well she said this and like don't you think this and I was just like wow wow yeah I was really fascinated by that when that came out but I never ended up seeing it but yeah it was oh it is it is worth it with the bachelor if if you're stuck at home um (laughs) anytime soon (laughs) um it's worth binging I think I got through the first season in like a week and I was actually trying to work and and live my life pre coronavirus so you know it's well worth like I was very addicted to it yeah anyway that was that was a nice tangent to go down yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you for bearing with us with that I mean it just proves how interesting the reality show aspect of it is yeah Uh, yeah yes (laughs) and I think Um, it it does get a lot of people interested in things like, so it does make sense that something like this would happen and actually end up working out well, like for an organ or for an organization like NASA, who is oh, absolutely. literally leaning on the people to get funding. So, yeah, so that that's the conflict there of like, we need, we're now in a bad relationship with this reality program, but they kind of hold the keys. So mm. what do you do? Yeah, I know. Exactly. And I know it didn't exactly work out in the gravity of us, but I couldn't help but think that I probably would watch it if it was real. <laughs> I so I, would. Yeah, I think I would too. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we're all I, like, I, wouldn't, I, I couldn't. Here we are saying love is blind is so bad. And yet, I mean, I, I didn't make it through the, the first, the whole of the first episode, but like clearly you stuck with it a little bit more, even though you were like, this is so weird. <laughs> I, I do have literally nothing else to do so there's that yeah. <laughs> yeah if it was a more competitive week then maybe it would have gone away but uh yeah but you know, we're in this 10 episodes we, you can do anything for 10 episodes <laughs> yeah. and I mean I guess the real winners out of this whole situation are the streaming services yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. um <laughs> um 
I read in your bio, Phil, that The Gravity of Us was actually your fourth novel and fourth attempt at publication. Would you ever return to the other stories? Yes, actually. So my second book, which is coming out in the U.S. uh, February 2021, I think they're hoping to sync up a little bit closer in future publications, like so uh, with other countries. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe it'll be out in winter for all of us. (laughs) But who knows? Sometime in 2021, if they decide (laughs) to publish it in the other territories, we'll just say Um, uh, that I actually did go back and revisit my third manuscript, which is um, about a uh, another gay anxious teen who moves from rural um, rural America to go to London to um, kind of follow his dream of uh, being a professional oboist. And oh, cool! Uh, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I, I I used to live in London, so it's inspired not. The story isn't inspired by my time going to, into London, but it, the setting at least is, and the travels that we did um, are kind of in it. And I wanted that like feel of a Euro trip, but also the story that like really does tackle. I mean, like I, you know how I weaved it with with gravity, like um, kind of real issues of like mental health and acceptance, and um, kind of not knowing where you stand with your um, with your birth family but then kind of finding a new family when you move away and you know what does that mean for your relationships back home and you know what if you're you know when you leave a friend like I always love exploring the like if you leave um, if you have a best friend and then you leave them like can you make that last or how does it change Um, which I've explored in both books and will probably continue to explore because it's something I'm always really interested in Um, but yeah so so in this um, story uh, he finds his way and misses boys, even one that he shouldn't. And um, yeah, he learns. We'll just say that. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. This, this isn't a love story. This isn't a love story compared to the, well, I mean, my main character might think it is, but it's not a love story. <laughs> uh, this one is uh, more of like about a teen who's just kind of learning what he wants and learning how he can be himself and kind of picking up a new family along the way, which is um, really special. So I'm excited for that one. I'm glad I went back to it, had to completely rewrite it. Um, But, you know, I was very committed to that story because it was the first queer YA that I'd written. Um, I knew there was something there that I really wanted to, to um, carry on with. And it's very personal for me um, just because of the elements inside. And like, I, um, I'm really excited to talk more about it in a coherent way, hopefully, one day. <laughs> but right <laughs> now we don't have amazing. a final title, we don't have a cover. We don't have <laughs> no, no, it's still a little way off, but <laughs> I think that that's um, something that we can all look forward to yeah, now, which will be great. For London-themed things, everything mm. is space-themed for this book, so all my promos is going to have to be London-themed, which is great because I love London. Yeah, and I mean, oh, let's hope you can travel by then, <laughs> and you'll be able yeah. to come to London. That would be amazing. Sure, it'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just operating under the assumption it's all going to be okay. <laughs> it will. It well, you know what? In the end, it will. Um, we'll just read lots and lots of books. Um, I'm sure everyone's good read challenges. This is going to be like the best year yet. Um, everyone's going to get lots of okay. reading done. <laughs> 
I've seen some writers posting, you know, that they're writing lots. So um, I guess we've I'll just got to keep looking on the bright side. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I um, have not been writing much during this time, but I'm still trying to figure out, because I also work, now I work from home, which is weird and different for me. Um, <laughs> but that on top of all my writing stuff, and it's just like, I can't, I don't remember how to draft anymore. I'm very stressed <laughs> out about the world. And so I'm just like, okay, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm going to have to figure this out. But I have plenty of time before my next thing is due. Um, thankfully, I finished my edits for book two before book one was out in the world. So oh, my gosh. One's so organized. Yeah, that well, is very organized. But well done. I like, I, thank you. I really don't like to miss deadlines. So I will do whatever <laughs> I can to, like, not miss them. But um, yeah, we'll see how long I can keep that up. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it sounds like you deserve a break then. So enjoy some time so. off. Just rest. <laughs> yeah. All this unexpected time off, which is great. Yeah. I'm oh. very tired right now otherwise. So I'm just going to rest. Yeah. And we'll figure it out. It's just going to be a weird couple weeks. It will, it will be. It sure is. I don't, I don't want to end on that note, though. Um, so... <laughs> okay. Can, can we ask you, because we did this at the top of the episode, we sort of told each other what sort of uplifting things we recommend during this time, whether it be like okay. watching something or listening to something or reading something. So apart from reading your wonderful new book, The Gravity of Us, what would you recommend during this time that you find uplifting and comforting and like favourite movie, anything like that, anything that you recommend? Um... Well, I will say in addition to just um, just reading the book, the audiobook is also really good. Um, and it's like, <laughs> I, I, I feel weird bragging about my book for whatever reason, but when it comes to the audiobook, because they like produced it so well and like it just is so cool on its own because it's it's with a full cast where all of the oh. um, all the Star Watch chapters in between are actually voiced by all the astronauts or the NASA teams um, like we have different cast members for each of them um, so it is a really <gasps> oh fun my God, and entertaining that's awesome. read that's so cool um, so just wanted you to know that that's out there it may actually be on sale <laughs> in the UK too because I think that's a different publisher so mm-hmm. they might not have to wait so Ooh. anyway <laughs> that um, pretty cool so that is uplifting and fun and weird um, in a good way and um, I'm trying to think this isn't like super uplifting, but I, the McMillions um, documentary, and this might not apply to anyone who listens to this because this might be just be very American, but um, <laughs> the the McDonald's Monopoly game. Do you know what that is? is I yeah, I think I yeah. I think we have something similar in Australia. Okay, okay, so it's a uh, it started in the I think the late eighties, early nineties for us, um, and where you peel off something that's on your mm. up basically and then it's a monopoly piece and you know the, the summer instant winners for a million dollars if you collect boardwalk and park place you get a million dollars that kind of stuff and they um the fbi ran an investigation and found out that um there were no legitimate winners for like 10 years <gasps> uh, because they were all being stolen in some way but they couldn't find out who was doing it and so there is a docu-series on HBO, if anyone can access it, a uh, oh. six-part documentary. It is, like, it is so interesting. All these people are, like, so fascinating. This, like, web of people, like, connections to the mafia, all this, like, 
bizarro things and they're so good at like twist endings where they're like well you have to watch the fourth episode now because they like it was such a cliffhanger so they're like it's a really well done documentary i wouldn't say uplifting but fascinating so i would i like and i i remember growing up with the you know we would get mcdonald's all the time to try and get them um even though (laughs) um but yeah i I just uh, it was the, the most recent kind of thing i've watched that i've just been like completely wrapped in um so that's fun that's um fascinating very escapist like bizarre world stuff um but at least you won't be thinking about negative things because you'll be so confused at what's going on that sounds amazing i'm gonna it try and find that so interesting yes yeah i don't know um, if you have um, if you know anyone with an hbo go member or like an hbo um <laughs> subscription or something i don't know if you can even stream it there but i don't know if it's out other places but if you can find it definitely watch it i will do some research and see if we can see where that is available to watch in australia and in the uk because that sounds so interesting yeah absolutely good recommendation (laughs) you got to fly right through this weekend oh wow amazing all right well on that amazing recommendation and we're all going to go stay at home for a little while now. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. Thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Um, Just let people know where they can find you online as well. Okay. Um, My website's philstamper.com. On Twitter, I have a kind of more complicated handle, so just search Phil Stamper. I'm the <laughs> who's verified, um, and I'm also the one who's not a uh, pro wrestler. So that if there's anything, <laughs> those are really good to be right there. Um, he's a great guy. You should follow both of us, but that is how you'll distinguish between the two of us because I cannot wrestle. So yeah, good to know. Uh, find me. Great Instagram, Twitter, everything. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Phil. It's been such fun chatting to you about space and reality TV and staying at home. Um. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at betterwordspod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.